Today on Ag News Daily. A new product called a pheromone, which uh, will control the behavior of the insect and prevent it from damaging the crop. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Got a great conversation coming up later on in the podcast, but of course, I've got to introduce my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney. How I tell you what, there are a lot of growers, not just in Illinois, but across Iowa, Minnesota, uh, Ohio, Missouri, Minnesota, etc., who are getting ready to rock and roll for the Commodity Classic, and I'm getting ready myself. Absolutely. You're going to be down there with the Zayner Group. There'll be a lot of other folks down there as well. I will not be down there, so I'm counting on you to shake hands and kiss babies for us. I'm going to kiss so many babies. There's going to be so many. Yeah, I suppose there won't be a lot of babies down there. Gentlemen, if you're coming down there, please don't bring your baby. (laughs) I mean, unless your babies are like game for, you know, Jaeger shots, then that's awesome. I'm here. I'm going to kiss that baby. But if they're not, let's just leave them at home. Yeah, I don't think there'll be a lot of babies there, but... I'm hoping not, but regardless, we want to hang out with you at Commodity Classic. Look us up at Ag News Daily, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Tell us you're coming. Let's connect. Absolutely. Look Mike up and connect with him. But of course, we've got to stay connected, Mike, to the world of agriculture, agricultural news. Right, Delaney, because you are not going... What are the news stories that are jumping out first? What are the big hot-button topics that, to you, we need to discuss today? Well, I think one that we haven't discussed yet that we probably should have discussed earlier on the podcast this week is the situation going on between, well, past situation going on between Tillable and Fieldview Climate. Yes. Or Climate Fieldview. Oh, my God. This is a big, big topic. And I followed it on Twitter as it was exploding. And then I kind of tuned out, and then I woke up, and I was like, whoa, this is still a hot-button topic. Lenny, bring us up to speed. Yeah, so essentially there was an API or a partnership between Climate Field View and Tillable. Tillable sent out some promotional flyers last year that to landowners that had farmers who cash-rented their ground concerned that perhaps Tillable had stolen their data, their production data, from their information that was logged into Climate Field View. This blew up on Twitter really over the past two, three weeks. And Climate Field View cut the cord with Tillable pretty instantaneously after this all started to blow up on Twitter. Then we saw Tillable release a statement, I think it was just today, it might have been yesterday, basically trying to answer two questions. What is Tillable and how did they come up with those rent offers that they sent out in the mailers and basically tried to say, no, they didn't use any of the Climate Field View data. I still don't really know if they did or did not, but that is uh, kind of the current situation in that. Right, and we have had um, executives from Tillable on this podcast. We have talked to these folks. Their goal at Tillable, for those of you who have perhaps forgotten or maybe have been unplugged from Twitter and didn't get dialed into this whole current folder all, they're saying that they're looking at basically all of the publicly available data when it comes to ag land, and they want to make landowners um, offers based on that data. And when they combined with FieldView, or, and they didn't combine, it's Lane mentioned that a third-party data consumer of the data from FieldView, they were looking at how much cash rent was paid by FieldView providers, and they were saying, hey, we got a guy, you know, Cousin Ned over here 
is willing to pay two eighty. You're currently getting paid two twenty. We can make you an offer right now on your ground for two seventy, and then they're going to pocket ten dollars on that transaction. The pushback was phenomenal, and when it comes to the American grower in particular, it just doesn't sound like we are quite ready to dip our toe in this digital pool, Delaney. There was a lot of hurt feelings when these uh, tillable letters started going out to landowners. Yeah, the pushback has been pretty phenomenal on Twitter. Been an interesting discussion to tune into and watch on Twitter, but uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's interesting to me that based off of a Twitter conversation and Twitter threads, we've literally seen two businesses' partnerships fall completely apart. Yeah, basically, thanks to Twitter, uh, Fieldview said, hey, you know what, we're just not going to do business anymore at all with Tillable because we've got to watch our bottom line. And when you get into these environments, when you start talking about what constitutes an agreement between a business, uh, grower consent is a huge part of that. And grower consent, apparently, as people were signing the deal with uh, Fieldview, they weren't quite consenting to Tillable getting access to that right. data. And that's where we've ended today. Yes, that is correct, Mike. Another big headline, though, that we've got to talk about today on the podcast before you head down to Commodity Classic, because I'm sure a lot of folks are going to be chatting about this as well, is what's going on right now between the U.S. and China. According yes. to the USDA and quite a few reports coming out today, we've seen China beginning to make policy changes that will be soon accepting and allowing applications for tariff exemptions as part of the Phase 1 trade agreement. The Trump administration released that information just today. And so there's essentially a few action items, which include the removal of tariffs on certain items, including U.S. poultry and poultry products, potato chips, other food products, pet foods, etc. And so I guess this is just part of the step one here in really getting some products out the door and into the Chinese marketplace. Yes, Delaney, I think you have hit the nail on the head. There is a lot of conversation about U.S. agricultural products making their way into China. Um, in fact, the U.S. government said earlier today, this was coming from the USDA, that China is taking action to fulfill its obligations for the 40 to, quote, $50 billion and mm. Gosh darn it. To my mind, this is the Trump administration asking for trouble. If we start hiking ad hoc the requirements for China from 42 50 billion, dang it, the most they've ever bought is 28.8. Now we're asking them to buy 40. Now uh, administration proposals are saying, no, China's preparing for 40 to 50 billion dollars. I feel like we're getting a little ahead of our skis here. However, this is what the USDA said. This is, quote, they are preparing, Delaney, as you mentioned, for U.S. food, U.S. feed, and U.S. obligations of smaller denominational U.S. currency to become parts of their domestic purchase project. And this is one of those things that uh, they sound like they're making progress for. USDA says 40 to $50 billion. Basically, USDA is making the announcement that China is coming to the table. We should start seeing purchases, agricultural purchases from China to the U.S. of this 40 to $50 billion 
in the next week. That is where the USDA is drawing the line. Secretary Robert Lighthizer, U.S. Trade Rep, has said this is where we see this going. And he sounds very optimistic that China is going to jump right in and start making these purchases. I'm of the mindset that we shall see. But yes. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope China is getting ready to gear up for large-scale purchases of American commodities. Absolutely. Well, another country that is actually ready to jump in, and maybe not quite as large-scale as Chinese purchases, but another country that is ready to jump in and start buying from the U.S. marketplace is Kenya. We've seen, as of today, USDA Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue said that U.S. wheat may now be shipped to Kenya regardless of the state of origin or port of origin because previously Kenya did not want to import wheat from certain states. I do not know the reason why. But Interesting. It's been going, that's been going on for about 12 years. I guess I, guess I do know why I lied. The, the reason Kenya did not want it to come from certain ports is they were concerned about phytosanitary inspection and certification for wheat coming from any U.S. state of origin or port of export. And so now they've said we will accept wheat coming from any origin or port of export coming from the United States. So it sounds like they definitely need U.S. wheat. But U.S. US exports are going to be valued at about $500 million annually heading to Kenya. So I think that's a pretty good-sized market. It is. It is a great-sized market. When we look at, and we've touched on this over the past couple of podcasts, the locust infestation across eastern Africa and eastern uh, Asia is phenomenal. Their wheat crop is decimated. So if they want wheat to eat, they're going to have to step into a foreign market and buy it. And the U.S., even with the recent strength in the U.S. dollar, the U.S. continues to remain the best place for, apparently, African countries to step in and go ahead and make those purchases. Absolutely, Mike. I tell you what, Delaney, I am all out of news other than the fact that I am headed to San Antonio tomorrow. So if you are going as well, look us up. Find me on Ag News Daily. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for at Ag News Daily. I want to connect with you while I am in Texas. But given market headlines and price updates, I got to do it before I take off out of the office. Delaney, what do you think? Should we see where the market closed for the day? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, let's do it. And we've got a nice reversal. It was a turnaround Tuesday today, listeners. Not a huge turnaround. Definitely did not recoup all the losses from yesterday. But we are in the green when it comes to the grain markets. Looking at corn right off the bat, the March contract was up to, uh, excuse me, a quarter of a penny at 3.72 and a half. The May contract also up a quarter at 3.76 and three quarters. Looking at soybeans, the March contract up four cents in three quarters, closing at four at 8.79. Even the May contract up five and three quarters to close at 8.88 and a quarter. Looking at Chicago wheat, the March contract up two and three quarters to finish the day at 5.39. Even the May contract up two and a quarter, closing the day at 5.37. Even jumping over to the world of livestock, we had a lot of volatility when we look at the meat markets and meats finished the day down in every complex except for lean hogs. Looking at cattle, the April live cattle contract dropped 
$2.30 to finish at $112.95. The June contract down $1.5750, closing at $105.80. In feeder cattle, the April contract down, oof, not quite the daily limit, but darn close, finishing at $3.47.5 lower to finish at $134.12.50. The May contract down $1.2550, closing at $135.80. Looking at lane hogs, we've got mixed trade today. The April contract was up. Five cents at sixty four sixty seven fifty. The May up ten cents, closing the day at seventy one ninety seven fifty. And we cannot forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Looking over at Class Three milk, we've got mixed trade with the February contract up two cents at seventeen oh three. The May, however, down nine at sixteen fifty three. Delaney. Why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Well, Mike, of course, it is hashtag Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We're going to be chatting with Michael Gilbert of Semios for today's episode. Well, for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday episode, we are joined by CEO and founder Michael Gilbert of Semios. Michael, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Michael, you guys had have, have had some really big news as of late, and we will get to that here in just a little bit. But tell us, the 10,000-foot view, what is Semios? So Semios is a precision farming platform for permanent crops. So we typically address you know, the almond, pistachio, apple, and grape crops. And we come in, we, we, wireless net, we network the orchard and then uh, put in different senses of controls that help ma- uh, mitigate risk. So what exactly are you networking together in the orchard to help the risk become mitigated? So one of the, one of the first modules we launched was an insect control system. So in this case, we were monitoring the microclimate conditions to see when a specific insect might emerge in the spring. And then we tacked on some uh, camera traps that would actually confirm that the insect was present in the field, in what numbers, and in what area in the field. And then once that was established, we could then uh, remotely release a, a fairly new product called a pheromone, which uh, will control the behavior of the insect and prevent it from damaging the crop. So it was a kind of a full circle system that would allow growers to control their insects with minimal use of insecticides. And Michael, taking a little bit of a step back here, tell us about the background or the story behind Semios and how you decided to launch this company. Yeah, so I was, um, I had been looking at the, the pheromone industry for a while and, uh, Pheromones are a very interesting approach to insect control, uh, but in many ways they couldn't be more opposite in terms of how they need to be deployed compared to your more traditional insecticides. Uh, traditionally, chemicals are, are placed in you know, sprayers and, and sprayed every couple of weeks. Uh, pheromones, to work effectively, needed to be deployed almost on a daily or nightly basis for a variety of hours which changed over the season, and that is not possible to do by a tractor, at least not economically and not at scale. So we needed to have a way to remotely deliver pheromones on demand 
and that was the genesis of Samuels back in 2011. Uh, as I said, as it turned out, um, the the communication part uh, we had grossly uh, underestimated uh, how hard it would be, and so um, the the water in the leaves of these trees soaks up most of the wireless energy present, and so it's very difficult to communicate wirelessly through trees when they're in full canopy. And so we actually spent uh, three years trying to figure out how to communicate wirelessly. We did, we filed a patent, and now we have over a million sensors on our network uh, talking to us every 10 minutes. Now that is very cool. So the sensors are out there, they're picking up the existing sort of ambient level of pheromones, and then you also have the tools which allow the manipulation or the, the addition of pheromones underneath the canopy. Did I understand that correctly? Correct, yeah. So we are, and that's what we call uh, kind of precision farming, which is where you are allocating inputs in real time based on real needs. And so our system, you know, we manage uh, over 200,000 acres of permanent crops, and every acre is monitored, and we're able to deliver whatever that acre needs in real time. So now I've got a quick follow-up for you. The the distribution component, the the actual device that gets the pheromones out there into the orchard itself, I'm picturing a little spray device like you would find in the corner of a men's room that every 30 minutes or so just puffs out some uh, some fragrance. Is it that type of thing, but for pheromones? Exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, and so those things are, are hung uh, on a hook in, in the canopy of the tree or on the vine and essentially talk to our network every 10 minutes and are waiting for the go-ahead to spray. And at what frequency? They could be spraying once an hour or six times an hour, whatever the, we feel the risk requires in terms of uh, proper control. Well, that is very neat, Michael. And I want to turn our attention then to some recent announcements that you have shared. And looking at funding, it seems that you guys have had some recent success with that. Tell us a little bit more about that funding and partnership moving forward. Yeah, so um, something we uncovered uh, a couple of years ago was that, um, and this is a little bit by accident, I think most entrepreneurs get a little bit of luck. Uh, you know, we were, with our, our pheromone dispensers, we were monitoring things like heat and water in the tree to see if that might drive the decision for pheromones. And it, as it turns out, knowing the heat and water accumulation, like temperature and, and water, uh, every 10 minutes drives almost everything that happens in an orchard. And so whether it's blossom timing, harvest timing, irrigation timing, you know, a disease risk, all these things are driven by these inputs. And so we had this massive data set that could solve a lot of complex problems in the orchard. And we, we met with an investor group out of Boston that is extremely interested in solving complex problems using big data. So this is right up their alley. And we described what we had and this data set we had and how we might be able to deliver a lot higher yield with a lot less water, a lot less inputs, if we found a way to, uh, to essentially leverage that data set. And so they, uh, they just recently agreed to invest uh, $75 million into Semios to allow us to build, to continue to build that team of data scientists, agronomists, data engineers that will 
essentially help establish tools that will maximize both the quantity and quality of the crops. So it sounds as though Semios is making that next step, kind of moving beyond just the, the modification of pheromone levels in the orchards to really being a full service provider of all things data and the precision tools that might come next from that. Exactly. And we, and we see like, we see a ton of potential, you know, there is, you know, orchards are very, very complex and you can have neighboring farms where the output can vary anywhere from 20 to 30%, even though they should be very similar. And so understanding why that is, is crucial to us essentially maximizing what we call, you know, the, the crop per drop. How do we get there? Well, first we need to understand why are things happening and how do we mitigate them? So our goal now is to really look at the data set to understand why are these two neighboring farms having different outputs and how do we optimize them both? Michael, this is really interesting stuff, really exciting stuff to be able to see exactly what technology can do to improve human error and also obviously the labor component and other things. As you look at the future of especially the permanent crop industry, some of those more specialty crops, what else do you see coming down the pipeline, either for Semios or outside of Semios, that's going to be vital to make sure that that industry continues to be able to be sustained into the future? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as our, as our populations grow, you know, we have to date uh, used all the, the high and prime acres of land uh, for, for food production as, as we the demands for food increase, we're gonna be using more than marginalized properties and trying to find ways to optimize either the crop you put on there and how you manage it. So I think, you know, whenever you start using data to drive decisions, especially when you're using a big data um, platform, allows you to optimize faster. I mean, you can, the example I often use is you can look at one tree for a thousand years and better understand it, or look at a thousand trees for one year and you'll get much faster to the, to the result and actually a better result. So what we're trying to do is we, we actually today, we monitor millions of trees and that allows us to provide uh, insights that can be applied not just to the, the best acres, but some of the marginal acres, which are gonna have to be used as we move forward. Absolutely, demand for food looks like it's going to continue at least for the foreseeable future. And we've got a lot of listeners who are in the permanent crop business. Michael, how can they get a hold of Semios? How can they begin to upgrade the uh, the networks on their operation to become more efficient? Yeah, um, so our website is Semios, uh, S-E-M-I-O-S dot com. They can reach us there. We have offices uh, throughout the, the Pacific uh, on the, the Pacific side. So we have in, from Bakersfield, Fresno, up to Turlock as well as in, in Washington state. So uh, by all means, uh, give us a, a call or, or log in our website and we'll get a hold of you. Fantastic listeners, check that out, semios.com. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You're very welcome. Well, again, a big thank you there to Michael. Great stuff, interesting stuff, but we're always covering interesting stuff here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. So if we've picked up any new listeners over the past, you can find any of our past episodes on globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily or on any podcasting apps. But make sure you're hitting subscribe so you can see the latest episodes when they hit your podcasting device. 
As Mike mentioned, he's going to be heading down to Commodity Classic this week. So connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ag News Daily and let Mike know if you are going to be down there as well or just stay up to date with us there. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Delaney. <laughs>